Welcome to Your Body's Way, a podcast for all of you health conscious humans out there who want to nourish, move and take care of your body your way. Not the diet book's way or even my way. Your journey to find your body's way through all of the noise and nonsense starts right here, where I'll be presenting and breaking down all of the current popular health practices so you can make intelligent choices that work for you and you alone. You know what they say, if the shoe fits, so I encourage you to take on what sounds tempting and to reject what doesn't. So let's dive into your journey to becoming the person you know you can be. Hey there, welcome back to Your Body's Way. I'm Tamara Walpole and I'm so happy to bring you this episode today because it is my chance to round up the best bits from the Build a Killer Body series. So I've done five episodes talking to some of the best fitness um, professionals, performance coaches that are out there at the moment. And oh my gosh, it's been so much fun recording this series gosh, I've learned so much when it comes to weight training for women, fat loss, um, the importance of sleep, intermittent fasting and keto and how they mix with your training. There's just so much to learn from the last five episodes of the Build a, uh, Build a Killer Body series. So I've decided to round off this series by giving you the best bits, but I am so happy to tell you that I loved it so much. I'm going to be including fitness um, episodes into my podcast going forward. So I'm going to continue to go into nutrition and functional medicine, but then also talking about fitness and basically all the things that make your body the best that it can be. So here is the best bits from the last five episodes. So kicking off with Owen Lacey, then moving into Celeste Palmer, uh, Arta Zolkovich, Danny Bosworth and Amelia Lang. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Um, tune in, have a review of everything that you've learned in the last five episodes. This is how you get a killer body. So enjoy. But how fat loss changes is, it is one thing I can, I can express to all the listeners. Your adrenals that sit above your kidneys, they're your backup. They're your backup for estrogen. They're your backup for testosterone. They're your backup for, for adrenaline, noradrenaline. They can really help the body out. So when you're trying to improve someone's fat loss capabilities by helping those adrenal glands, um, and there's a, there's a nice, simple way of addressing those adrenal glands. If we can support the female's adrenal glands, we can support their thyroid, and we can support their blood sugar management. That is the way to enhance a female's health. And because ovarian function will, will be up or down during different times, it'll be obviously downregulated after menopause and so on. But if you can support a female's thyroid, their pancreas, i.e. insulin management, and their adrenal function, there may be areas that need more attention at different stages. But if you address those three things on a regular basis, you'll maintain their fat loss capabilities. But if you don't address them, you're going to be doing all the work without getting the results. There's this um this tree diagram that comes into mind, and um it's like a triangle actually, not tree. Um, and at the top, uh, at the bottom are your sex hormones, at the top are your adrenals, and in the middle, I yeah. think it's thyroid. I think it's yeah. thyroid. Um, and so that basically says adrenals come first. No, what you just said. Um, yeah. 
Uh, and then literally if, if the adrenals are stressed and they're not functioning and you know, you're running about, you've just had kids, you're not sleeping and all of the stresses on your body. Um, if you're not addressing that, then it trickles down into your other hormones. So, um, then your thyroid is disrupted, like you said, and then at the bottom your sex hormones, which are just basically, um, the last port of call for your body, your body's like yeah. the reproduction is probably the last thing that your body puts on the list. It's like, okay, so, yeah. um, I'd rather survive than reproduce. So yeah. yeah, sex hormones are right at the bottom there. Yeah. And, and this is the thing, it can, it can affect in different ways. I have a colleague of mine, Dr. Brian Walsh, and he, he sort of demystifies this adrenal fatigue because the adrenals are still working, but they're just compromised. Their function, their output is compromised. But all hormones, they sort of speak to each other in a negative feedback loop with the HPA axis, with the environment, with sleep. But for a female, if, obviously, if you're under stress, sex hormones are going to go low. If you're thyroid, a lot of women have subclinical thyroid issues that are not addressed, and then they're if your thyroid is not working correctly, it's your gas pedal and your metabolic function, and it will put a brake on it. And then again, that will feed your adrenals, your adrenals will feel. So it's all, it's, everything is linking together. But the most important thing for a coach, for a nutritionist, for a professional to do with their client is listen to them. What signs are they having? If a woman is having irregular periods, if they're not going to the bathroom, if they're getting fatigue, if they're losing the outside of their eyebrow, if their hair is fine, if their nails are brittle, get a thyroid test done. If you've had a miscarriage, get a thyroid test done, please, because all the dieting in the world, if you've yo-yo dieted, this came out about Oprah Winfrey years ago. Oprah Winfrey was notorious for a yo-yo dieter for years. And then after 20 years of yo-yo dieting, they found out she's got a thyroid problem. Now, come on. She's a VIP celebrity for years. If she had a thyroid problem, they would have known it before now. But you think yo-yo dieting kicked your thyroid in the bum? It does. So if you've had kids, it can impact your thyroid function. You know, having... Now, D-section kids are the big stress on, on postnatal or post postnatal stress disorders, you know, a lot of issues. So you need to listen to the clients, listen, let them tell you what's going on. And that's when you'll know whether it's an adrenal problem. Are they hungry all the time? Are they thirsty? Are their blood sugar up and down? Are they getting skin tags in their skin? That's a sign of insulin issues. Look at their diet. They're having loads of carbs at breakfast, then skipping loads of food, and then having loads of carbs at nighttime. Focus on pancreas function. Focus on the adrenal function. So there's... Loads of things that can be going wrong with a client, but listen to them. What's going on? How's their hair? How's their skin? How's their mood? How's their dizziness? How's their cognitive function? Are they going to the bathroom every day? Are they sleeping? I know it's not sexy, but it's fundamental. And speaking of thyroid, I think the reason why so many women have thyroid issues, but they don't know, is because the the ranges, the the norms that they're given for their thyroid. But then on top of that, the the a lot of thyroid tests don't actually test the antibodies, which are really a key indicator of thyroid dysfunction oh. as well. So you can have normal thyroid levels, but then your antibodies could be through the roof, but they don't test Massive. that. So they don't, they don't, and this, this is the thing that they, they don't test the antibodies. And what happens is the range, the number one hormone that most we get checked for thyroid function is TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. Now, it isn't even a thyroid hormone, it's a pituitary hormone. So it's the one that goes to the thyroid to tell the thyroid what to do. Then the thyroid releases T4, it gets converted to T3. We can have conversion issues, we can have enzyme issues, we can have, you know, 
receptor issues. We can have antibodies, like you mentioned, like uh, thyroglobulin or um, pyroproxidase. We can have these uh, antibodies, which will, over time, cause that will, they're not a sign of damage, they're an indication of autoimmunity, but the, the body will attack then the thyroid or the receptors and so on. And then over time, it will progress to an issue. But as you said there, the range of TSH in Ireland is 0.5 to 5.0. That is a monstrous range, a monstrous range. You talk to Brian Walsh and he'll tell you it should be between 1.5 and 2.5. So and it's obviously different at different ages, but it's roughly the same. So this can be under underdiagnosed hypothyroid or hyperthyroid issues for a long, long time. And it can undermine fertility, cognition, you know, schizophrenia, all these issues, they can, it can be anxiety issues that is rampant body fat. at the moment. Oh, yeah, and body fat, which is what we're talking <laughs> which about. Which is what we're talking so, about, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's me going off on the head. Um, yeah, get checked. People need to get checked. And like, uh, I'd say antibodies are, are a test that need to be done for the thyroid, for sure. Um what so what are your thoughts so when so you talk about um the stages of life for a woman pregnancy perimenopause then menopause um the adrenals are so important they're at the top um of of this kind of triangle of hormones um and it becomes even more important going into menopause when you know it needs to yeah. take over the role of the ovaries um when estrogen cuts out so um you really need to i think i heard um you know dr mindy peltz yeah yeah um she she said something really amazing the other day she said you know what i think we should reframe the 40s for women uh the 40s is now the decade where you start to say no it's like the, the 40s are mine i'm gonna say no i'm gonna put myself first because you lit you literally have to if you're gonna save your health if you want to keep healthy if you want to look great if you want to look amazing then you have to start saying no and looking after your stress levels so i really like that i really like what yeah. you said um, but what I wanted to kind of talk about is, is more about the female cycle, just to kind of touch on it, because it's a question I have. Um, it's so it's so popular now, um, cycle syncing. So training um, in time with your cycle. So, for example, um, when you're ovulating um, to train hard, um, when you're um, actually on your period to train hard. But then, to, no, when you're ovulating, take it easy. Oh, I'm getting confused now. Um, but basically, <laughs> but basically, to train hard at certain times during your period, um, during your menstrual cycle, and then to take it easy during certain times in your cycle, and the same for food: eat different foods at different times and fast, you know, at different times. Do you think there's some sense in doing that for the everyday woman, or do you think it's more like looking at mice rather than the elephant that's in the room? Do you think it's just a small thing that? Yeah, there, there there has been some really good research on training period training and syncing it with different levels of what we call intensification accumulation, heavier lifting or more volume lifting around the Olympic cycles. There is quite a lot of research on athletes with training and and, and right, with cycles. athletes. Yeah. Yeah, but but the question is, that's with athletes. That's not where maybe a mother has four kids at home. We're trying to get a different training session in and, and realize when you do a training program. There's a certain amount of exposure that the body needs in, in, a, in a small period of time for the body to adapt to it. So if you're changing the program constantly and 
most females don't have a 28 day cycle. It's not 14 days here, 14 days here. It could be three days of a period, seven days of a period, maybe 22 days. So not everyone's the same. So I can understand that yes, there is a percentage amount of people that will respond to training at different luteal phase and other of their cycle, but for that's for athletic people and people that are a full time uh, full time athlete. Could some people get benefit from it? Possibly, but there's so much bigger things to focus on. It's just like heart rate training, intensity, you know, the, the their hydration, their hormones, or supplements, rather than maybe getting a few more reps when you're you're more used to volume. I, I don't think it's a, an area that I would focus on because the return of investment at that time and that focus could be better spent somewhere else. Because with an athlete, you're literally, you know, you're literally trying to improve their performance by like half percent, you know, that yeah, you're trying yeah. to, you know, up their game and everything counts. So that's when looking at their cycle and thinking, OK, how can we optimize this? That's a good time to bring that in as a tool. But when it comes to your everyday woman, um, it might be just um, uh, just a bit just not necessary. Like there's more to yeah. look at. Um, Much more. But- yeah, but but what I but what I do think cycle syncing is good for is um, helping a woman realize that she doesn't have to and she shouldn't smash it in the gym diet like a maniac all the time. So I think it's a nice way for her to be like, okay, so I can push hard and then pull back. And I can yeah. relax and I can rest. Yeah. And I think that's nice. I think that's a nice thing for women. Uh, you know what? And I'm what am I now? I'm 42 now, right? So I've been lifting weights for for, for forever. And um, one of the things when you get older, your warm ups take a little bit longer. You're training at the top, say that, and all the guys at the gym slag because they're on their way up, and I'm on my way down. But I don't know if it works exactly like that. But what what I say with it is auto bioregulating, auto regulating your training, regulate what you feel you can do what your body is up to do. You don't have to smash it. Like a friend of mine, Luke Lehman, you don't have to be in beast mode all the time. Sometimes least mode is good enough. Get, get into the gym is important, but doing what the body can tolerate at the time it can tolerate it. Not pushing yourself or smashing yourself all the single, every single time. I use HRV quite a lot with my, with my athletes and with my clients. And I check blood glucose levels and sleep levels. And I see when their HRV is low, Maybe the volume is going to be low today. The intensity can still be high, but the volume should be lower. They should always get them to train. Some of them come and just do some cardio and sauna and go. They could do some cardio, mobility, stretch and go. Some days they're lifting heavy. Some days they're doing hit. But knowing what the body's able for, because that's what will keep you progressing. But smashing it all the time, this overtraining, overreaching, competing with other people, you're competing with yourself. So I think what you said there is very apt. Females in particular need to tolerate the training themselves. I'm not giving them a cop out. I'm not saying I don't feel like it today. I'm just saying wave that vo- and volume, just so you know, guys, is volume is the amount of time you're doing. You're lifting something, the amount of reps, how long the set lasts, how long your training lasts. That can come down. That should come down re- regularly and, and we should cycle it. But if your body isn't into it, smashing yourself. This isn't David Goggins running seven marathons. You need to do what you, your body's able to recover from. The bigger the hole that you dig, the harder it is to get out of it. And that leads us perfectly into the next topic, which is sleep. Because let's face it, when it comes to training and trying to lose body fat and um, training for that, 
there there are two there are two parts to doing it and that is the training like getting the um uh, creating the potential for you know change and adaptation and then rest like you need to have those two things and people tend to miss out the rest part they tend to you know like you said just smash it you know in the gym and you know and then go home and you know cook dinner for the family and then have a stressful job look after the kids and so that rest doesn't really happen so obviously we talked about stress relief and you know the importance of that but sleep so um like we, we should give it a new name really something that's just so people don't turn off now they're just like oh it's sleep yeah. let's just turn it off um but yeah sleep how it's so so important and I have to say even myself recently I've only just started to really um appreciate how important it is for health and your goals just your fitness goals it's just so important obviously since having kids it's like God, I just I love yeah. sleep now um so, I mean, when it comes to um, sleep, how important is it? I mean, <laughs> how important is sleep well, to the fat loss well, journey? Is, to the fat loss journey, what it does is, if you can imagine your, your mobile phone, um, and every time you woke up in the morning and your mobile phone was at 10% charge, what would happen is, number one, you'd say, I need a new phone, or you check your charger to make sure it was charging. But if that, did, if that went on for one week, you get a new phone because you need that phone charged for when you go to work. But for some reason, people feel that they can get by. Now, getting by and getting through the day is not striving through the day. It's not peak performing. So when you don't sleep correctly, blood sugar management, mood, libido, focus, cognition, wound healing, you're just going to age faster. You're causing yourself the accumulation of rust, of waste product. Every process in your body is hampered and it's caused more dysregulation and dysfunction with poor sleep, no matter what it is, whether it be fat loss, whether it be fertility, whether it be cognition, whether it be skin growth, whether it be hair, whether it be nails, whether it be mood, everything is impacted by poor sleep. And if you want to know how much sleep impacts you, I challenge your listeners to go two days without sleeping and they will be like a zombie. I'm not saying go do that, but if you, you have young kids, that's happened. Like, what is hard when you're sleep deprived? Everything. Thinking about breathing is challenging. Putting your socks on it. You, you, you start, like I was putting phones in the fridge and making bottles. And going, what am I doing? You, you, you don't know what's going on. But think about how confused you are. Your cells need a constant stimulation of daytime, nighttime. Oxygen uptake, fuel utilization, DNA replication, all these million processes that go in the body. They're regulated by your circadian rhythm. If your rhythm is off by poor sleep, fat burning is gone, blood sugar regulation is gone, blood pressure is gone, the neurons in your brain that need to be synchronized, switched on, the beta amyloid plaque that needs to get switched out of there needs to be cleaned. It's not happening. You're aging faster. You're causing your body to accumulate rust and then expect it to function the next day. So when sleep is an issue, it's, it's, for me, it's the priority. It's the driving person in that car. Two weeks of addressing our sleep will have so much impact on everything else that you do. The same way when people come to me and they've got gluten issues or thyroid issues, there's no point in cutting your calories and making you train harder when you have these big elephants in the room that need to be addressed first. And I know it's not sexy, 
But what I would challenge everyone is, if you were doing any nutrition plan or any diet, uh, diet plan or training plan, improve your sleep for two weeks. I guarantee you the training you're doing, the mood you're in, the diet you're following will get better results because you're sleeping better, categorically. And if not, trust me, you'll be more energized, more focused, more fresh to change the diet or nutrition. You'll be more switched on. Everything is better with better sleep. So you'd say sleep is number one. That's like the first it is thing. Num- it is number one if it's a problem. Right. So for some people, it's not the problem. But for a lot of people, it is the problem. So if you're, if I look at your food plan, I look at your lifestyle plan, and I see that the breakfast, lunch, and dinner is immaculate, but you're getting six hours of sleep, you're falling asleep on the couch, you're snoring, bang, I do that first. Don't get me wrong, if someone's diet is terrible and their sleep is terrible, I might tweak the nutrition a little bit, but my major focus is going to be the sleep. And then as that becomes less of an issue with sleep, I, I take my focus more onto the nutrition. Okay, so let's take let's take a switch then. Let's let's kind of switch topics a little bit. Let's talk about um, kind of Jane Doe. Let's talk about the lady who wants yeah. to um, look fit. She wants to look toned, which is obviously mm-hmm. the language mm-hmm. that women like to use. Um, she wants to lose a bit of weight. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously, in order to achieve those things, you certainly don't have to take it to the level that you're taking it. Um, you're on a different, a different level, different category altogether, um, mm. and it's a different lifestyle, basically. But there are some things yeah. that women can take. There are some tips from yeah. your lifestyle that they can take and bring into their life. So, mm. um, first of all, when you're working with women. Mm-hmm. Um, what are common preconceptions like uh, that women have about weightlifting? Like, what are some yeah. common fears that they have? Well, the, the biggest one is I'm going to look like a man. <laughs> I'm <laughs> so, going to look bulky. Yeah, that's that's the biggest one, and I think that that's that myth is getting a little bit more. Um, like people are kind of starting to understand that that is a myth, I but agree. it's still out there. Yeah. it is it is still a common misconception about weightlifting um that if you do it you're suddenly gonna grow a ton of muscle and look like hercules and and just be huge which is not in the slightest bit true um it that that word you use tone yeah like people love that language um probably because it comes across as more feminine and less less masculine less bulky um but toned is is I, I honestly hate that word like because it's not really true like like it, it's 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 growing muscle and tone and bringing your I almost said it there and bringing down your body fat um and the only way to do that is to is to lift weights um so that's the biggest misconception I have I suppose a lot of a lot of things I get are um people changing their workouts every week or people who want to grow their glutes doing resistance bands workouts instead of lifting weights or thinking that they have to do endless reps and people always question whether they should do more reps less reps and stuff like that Um, so basically difficulty actually training correctly in the gym that's that's one of the problems you come across um and actually one of the last questions I have for you at the end is about glutes how to build the best glutes because let's face it on your pictures you make no (laughs) like you don't hide them you're just like look at this (laughs) and everyone's like okay (laughs) so we'll talk about that at the end um 
But um, coming back to the common fears and about how women mm. are worried about um, gaining muscle, um, mm. I mean, it depends on body type as well, because, I mean, mm. first of all, women don't have the hormones to, to get yeah, exactly, as bulky as exactly. a man. Like, we don't have the testosterone, yeah. first of all, to yeah. get to that level. Mm-hmm. And then also to look, if, 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 um, if a woman does have, like, let's say she has higher testosterone than some other women, mm. she would then have to train a huge amount in order to yeah, get exactly. to that kind of manly physique that she's afraid of. Exactly. Um, but it is interesting, though, like looking at different body types, because mm. some women can put on muscle very quickly yeah. and they can change. So I don't know if you've seen that yourself, but mm. it's, it's very rare but I'm kind of going back now to when I was personal training mm. and um, I, I remember, I'll never forget. There was this one girl. She was, she came from performing arts like you. Um, mm. She was kind of wispy and kind of shy and mm. Um, mm. tiny. And then she started coming to the gym more and more and more and she was doing weights. And then literally it was like, it was, it was literally like you know um what's that tv program when the celebrity goes behind the smoke and then they come out as another celebrity oh, <laughs> like, um, yeah like, i know what you stars mean, in the yeah. eyes yeah like... that's it yeah <laughs> just completely different person <laughs> like stars and like literally one wow. day she was like wispy and kind of small and then literally the oh, next yeah. minute she walked in and she was yeah. big now wow. she she wasn't obviously she wasn't taking any hormones or anything like she was very young yeah. and she was yeah. you know very kind of impressionable yeah. But um, that that was one time where I was like, wow, like her body was literally one in a million. Yeah. Um, it was yeah. literally, com- it was it, it was primed to be mm, extremely so. muscular. Yeah. And to this day, um, I actually looked her up online the other day. I was like, oh, mm. what she's doing? So um, I looked her up, and she's still like like yeah. killing it in the gym, and she's just looking like incredible, and she's embracing the muscle, and she's just loving Love life. That. But here's a really interesting topic um, mm. that when, let's talk about the benefits of, mm. do, of weight training for women. And I want to start with confidence and mood because yeah. tied to this same story, she was, like I said, she was shy, introverted mm-hmm. and um, kind of, you know, you like kind of like wind would kind of knock her down. Yeah. But then when she started training and she started looking the way she was, her confidence was like mm. huge and I was like whoa she's literally a different person like seriously yeah. stars in the eyes <laughs> like yeah. complete transformation yeah. so that kind of links into the benefits because isn't it true that when you lift weights as a woman and you kind of break down those fears you're like okay I'm just going to embrace my body I'm going to push it I'm going to experiment and see how far it can go and mm. see how strong I can get don't you just feel freaking amazing in your own skin like yeah. your mood your confidence your ability to deal with everyday life mm. improves like can you say some stuff about that just start talking about that yeah yeah I mean nail on the head right like it is it's like the idea that like we can take up we can take up space and we don't have to be this shy like young female that hides in the corner and does her cardio and and like it I think my whole my confidence changed hugely when I got into weights hugely even just the fact that I could go up to someone in the gym and say how many sets have you got left like that authority changed within me and 
it's so hard to say until you do it like it's so hard to explain until you you do it and that's why I'm so adamant about getting women to, to just lift weights and explore it because that confidence is like something that you can't access from anything else and I think it, it you're then able to take that into your everyday life whether that's going for a job interview you know, if you can squat 160 kg or if you can hip press 200, if you can leg press, blah, blah, blah. Or if you can go into a gym and you can wear a sports bra and shorts, then, yeah, you can do it. You can do a lot. <laughs> you can do anything. Yes. So it, it's hard to put into words until you actually go and do it. But I can't imagine if I wasn't where I was now with weightlifting, how my confidence would be. I honestly have no idea. No idea. Exactly. And um you know, as, as a, as someone who has had, um, two children now, um, I've, I I was kind of not exercising that I wasn't really focused on exercise much after them because I had this fear that, um, like when your tummy gets so big Mm. and your abdominal spread so much, like when you have the baby, there's this kind of, I have this, I had this feeling that if I was to lift heavy, that my stomach would literally burst open. Like I had this kind of weird feeling. Um, Obviously it's not true, Um, (laughs) but psychologically I was like, oh my God, like I'm really scared to do this because I just feel like my guts are just going to come out the front of my belly button. So, um, you know, but, but since getting back into training this year, um, Mm. I've, I've regained that kind of that confidence and and the, the mood and the, that the way that muscle contracting your muscle can change your brain chemistry and it yeah. can make you feel so good and it can put you in yeah. such a good mood and um, yeah. you can feel buzzing afterwards. It's just such, such a nice feeling. Yeah. So um, any women who aren't lifting um, weights mm. at the moment, um, you know, this conversation is all aimed at you mm. basically it's like you know exactly. get into the gym and just start lifting mm. weights and you know mm. you think your life might change in unexpected ways mm-hmm. so um yeah I just wanted to hit on that but what what mm. other um what other benefits are there I mean why should mm. women lift weights like besides mm. feeling good like what other reasons do you give mm. to your clients usually yeah, well, there's just so many health benefits to it as well, like in terms of longevity and, and things like bone health. And I always use the example of my mum because she's started go- to go to the gym for the first time really ever in her life. Um, and she's, she won't mind me saying, she's mid-60s now. And um, she's really actually just started to realise how important her bone health is. Mm. Um, and she hasn't really prioritised that. So I, I wrote her programme and she's doing resistance training three times a week and for me to say like I can see the difference just in my mom not not just in her mood but like her energy levels um and her strength Mm -hmm. and she's she's personally like so proud of herself and so it's like for me you know it's not just the confidence benefit it's not just the, the physical elements of looking a certain way but it's it's the longevity of your life it's it's the health and it's you know your kind of everyday just confident gaining strength has everyday benefits whether it's if if you're a mom and you now you have kids and your things like your stamina your strength you're able to look after your kids because you look after yourself and I think that's incredible and um yeah there's just so many health benefits to it that you can't get if you run on a treadmill every day or if you just do cardio if you just don't do anything 
Exactly. I mean, you talk about bone health. I mean, that mm. just the act of contracting your muscle and it pulling mm. on your bone, that mm. activates um, bone formation. So anybody who is um, low on estrogen, so let's say going yeah. through perimenopause, menopause, mm-hmm. or, or getting mm-hmm. older, um, your mom mid sixties, that's so young. Mm. Like she's so young. <laughs> like seriously, so young. I'll tell her you said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's, if, if anyone's going through that stage in their life, then resistance training is an absolute must for bone health, because that's the Absolutely. other way. When, when estrogen is low, that's when your bones are yeah. going to build when you actually yeah. pull on the, pull on the bone with muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also um, you mentioned longevity, which is such yeah. an important point because yeah. as we get older, um, we lose our posture our muscles get um, smaller and we feel Mm. weaker and more frail and Mm. um, there's so much information now on um, how frailty in old age Mm. is linked Mm. to um, your uh, mortality so the more frail you become the, the more likely that you know you're kind of coming to the end of the road and you know people don't want that like strength is a real sign of longevity so I think that's that's really really good points um Mm. you said that you know by getting those benefits you just don't get them by running on the treadmill which is absolutely true um what are your thoughts on cardio I know you're going to have to do lots of cardio if you're cutting (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes to the everyday woman, um, what are your yeah. thoughts on cardio and how, you know, we're killing it on the treadmill and, you yeah. know, what do you say to someone like that? I mean, if you enjoy it, like do it. If you, gen- if you genuinely enjoy it, go for it. But don't make it your whole life running or cardio. Like cardio is, is it, I just think cardio is a good tool to just give, get you a little extra step further. And also there's so many benefits, as I'm sure you know, to having good cardiovascular health. Again, for health, the longevity reasons. And if you have the walk up stairs, it's nice to do it with a good level of stamina. However, I think there's just so many misconceptions about the purpose of cardio and why we do cardio. Um, And a big one I see a lot is people who want to lose fat. And they think that in order to do that, they have to just do endless, endless hours of cardio. Let's focus on that. That's a really good point. So cardio for fat loss. Yeah. Yeah. Take. Yeah. So again, it's just a tool to get Mm. you one extra step further. But if you are trying to go for fat loss, you want to prioritize your diet over anything. And then you want to prioritize your weight training because weight training is going to help you burn calories over long term over a long term span of time so when you finish a weight training session you're still your body's still having those effects of burning calories even when you go to bed that night Um, and on top of that you know you're building that muscle definition however if you just do cardio you may feel really sweaty or you may feel like you've had a really good workout but in reality it's not as effective so in terms of fat loss and cardio what I would say to people is again prioritize your diet do your weight training session and then after your weight training session, do low intensity cardio, maybe jump on a treadmill and put an incline, do a walk, uh, get on the bike, cross trainer and do, it doesn't have to be a super high amount of time, 
again, it, it probably would increase the more you want to lose body fat, the more you have lost. But I'd always say weights first and then cardio as your priority for fat loss. And that's a big, big misconception. That is a big misconception. And I just mm. had a thought. It's like if you compare weights to cardio, it's like it's like with weights, you're putting in more money into the bank, like you're investing more mm, yeah. rather than cardio. It's like cardio is like you're spending your in terms of where you live, for example, it's like you're renting. So your money yeah. is coming out and you're just spending every month and it's not going anywhere. Exactly. But when it comes to weight training, you're spending each month on a mortgage, Mm -hmm. but it's actually being stored and it's actually going towards something. So just thought of that. Quite proud of that. I'm going to keep, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) Take it. Take it. It's yours because you brought it out (laughs) on me. Um, But it's like you're, you're making more of an investment in your time. Exactly. And um, it's your, your metabolism increases when you're at rest. Yeah. So yeah. when you're watching the telly at night, like you train this morning, so mm. your metabolism is going crazy right now. Whereas yeah. if you just did an hour on the cardio machine, yes, you burned a lot of calories, but it's but your metabolism is back to normal. And exactly, you're, you're exactly. not you're not burning yeah. fat as efficiently as you yeah. are right now exactly. after having done weights. Um, mm. Also, um, when it comes, there's a there's an important piece about um, stress here because. When I go back to my gym days, and I know you've seen it too, so I don't know if you felt this working in the gym, but um, there's 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 very distinct characters. Like there's a, there's a character that you'll find in every single gym. So yeah. there's the women that there's the the woman who is on the cross trainer yeah. for like an hour every day. <laughs> There's one of those. Yeah. You were one of them, yeah. as you said. Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's the the guys. Um, there's the man like pumping weights and making loud yeah. noises, and everyone knows he's there. And so there's there's different characters um, in in all gyms mm-hmm. across the world, like these same mm-hmm. people. And I remember there was this guy, we called him the running man because he would literally just jump on the treadmill every single day and he would just run for hours, hours, no way. Like hours. Oh. Like he would have a pool of sweat all around the treadmill <laughs> and we'd be like, oh God, the running man's here. We're like, we have to get the towels oh, no. out. Yeah, get the- <laughs> clean the floor. Um, I mean, I laugh about it, but really he, uh, to, to, he there was something in his mind that wasn't clicking like he wasn't understanding that it wasn't working for him and to actually just spend 45 minutes lifting weights Mm -hmm. would probably be a much more effective thing and um so when you're doing a huge amount of cardio your stress Mm. levels increase so much Mm. so if you're a woman who has children or you know has a stressful lifestyle just say you have you're stressed at work or Mm. um you know you just say you're stressed at home you know dieting and things like that and then you jump on the treadmill for hours in a week it's like the stress goes up too much and your body starts to work against you when you're stressed out starts to like 100% store body fat yeah. and and that's why so yeah. many um I don't know if you see this but like a lot of aerobic and um like instructors teaching classes mm. like you would think they'd be super like have perfect bodies but a lot mm. of them do to be honest um but you know some complain they're just like I do all these classes and like yeah. I'm not getting any slimmer or 
And it's because your body eventually, when it's under a lot of stress, it starts mm-hmm. to just dig its heels in. It's like, okay, I'm not burning fat anymore. I'm just going to yeah. kind of like, you know, you're staying the way you are. Thank you very much. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know yeah. if, if you found that, like when you look around and. All the time. Yeah. Even in like my clients, if, if they've had a tough week or if, if they've like, if they're trying to lose fat and I don't see a difference or their weight's gone up, I'm just like, well, how was, how were your stress levels? That's one of the first things I'll mm-hmm. say. I feel like I've had a really tough week at work. Like I've been so busy. I've had this going on. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Um, and yeah, if you're doing endless cardio, it's an insane amount of stress on your body. Like physiologically, cortisol yes. levels are going to be so high, like for a a prolonged amount of time and also it's just so hard on your actual like joints on your body yeah. to run that much and you're literally like increasing your risk of injury again which is another stress added like mental physiological as well um so yeah I see it a lot in in a lot of people myself included if I've had a stressful week and I'm like why am I so bloated ah it's because I've been really stressed so it's such a good point and it can't go underestimated wherever you are on a fitness journey whatever it is you're aiming for if you're stressed like the body is such a powerful thing it will literally fight against you and be like no I ain't shifting until you relax for a little bit and and do some self-care I mean, the theme of today is fat loss, intermittent fasting, and then we've been kind of touching on keto here and there. So I'd like to dive into keto just a little bit more. Um, The reason why I think fasting and keto are so closely related is because they kind of have the same kind of goal, don't they? They they both want to reduce your blood glucose to to like a stable level and to reduce your insulin levels. Um, And therefore, that's when your body is going to dip into its fat stores for energy so that's what they both have in common so keto you've already said that you go into it sometimes um how do you feel about keto at the moment it seems you kind of weave in and out of you know of these kind of um these ways of eating Um, what is your stance on keto at the moment are you a fan or what do you think um i think you know keto again keto the 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 real keto ketogenic diet is much harder to do than people think it is right because you would really have to measure it you measure your ketones one and um and you really have to be because you know people would have a lot of meat when they're on keto but that's actually not keto because through through gluconeogenesis your body will produce uh glucose out of car- uh, protein sorry right yeah so that's pretty much the only one that doesn't that, 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 that you so you probably will have to consume much more fat and very like I think 10% of protein and almost like zero carbs right so like zero carbs essentially so the true keto is difficult now it all depends as always I think if that's something that works for you and you're happy doing that you're happy with the dietary restriction because it's it's you don't only restrict macronutrients, but you also restrict a lot of food, like fruit that also tastes good, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about candy here. I'm talking about like fruit and, and lots of stuff, right? So, so things that people enjoy, if you, if you, if you want to do it, then yes, it's a, it's a very, um, it's quite a drastic approach to, mm-hmm. to diet. Um, doable for sure. 
I personally, I, I don't function that well on keto. I think I'm, I, I function much better sort of moderate carb diet or more like carb cycling type of diet mm -hmm. where I, I sort of would, would go, would take, a, if you will, a, a ketogenic approach per meal, right? So if I want to have a more steady focus, I don't do more keto because it's a fasting mimicking diet in the end, right? So that's, you, you sort of mimic fasting by eating fat. Yeah. Um, so maybe that, or some is like as a snack, you know, nuts and, 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 and things, but, but generally I think keto is slightly, it's, it's, um, it's not simple. And in the end to lose body fat, you have to reduce your calorie intake. Right. And if you choose so by doing keto or midterm fasting, whatever you choose, then it's up to you and up to what you enjoy eating probably. Right. So. It's the best, the best diet, the best diet doesn't exist. The best diet is the one that you can stick to for over an extended period of time, right? So it's, if that works for you, then yes. If that doesn't work, then, 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 then no. And you know, for certain conditions that is a good approach as well. But again, you know, it's, it doesn't, I think it's a, it's a, it's a strategy again, it's a tool that if it works, you can use it. If it doesn't, you just should try, try something else. I think it's really good for people who have um if, if they're struggling with blood sugar issues like and if they're yeah. gaining weight because of it so they're just like you know they crave carbohydrates um they're gaining weight and they don't know why and they're kind of they're kind of struggling with 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 that um yeah. i think keto is a like you say a tool that you bring in and what it tends to do is it tends to over time um take away those cravings because um you know your blood sugar levels become more regulated yeah um and it's funny, um, you say that people make this mistake with keto, that it's just about meat, meat, meat. And I couldn't agree more because it, it, keto has such a bad reputation because people just think it's um, like fatty meats and just piling on bacon and like lots of oil and grease. And and it's just not the case. And actually keto is, if, if you do it right, it looks very much like a plant-based diet, like probably how you used to eat when you were you know, back in the day, vegetarian, yeah. um, but with, you know, a little bit of meat on the side, a bit of fish, but really it's all about, it's, it's, it's vegetarian heavy, it's, it's plant heavy, um, and, you know, obviously healthy fats, so, um, you know, getting olive oil in, coconut oil, if people can handle that, um, MCT oil, again, if people can handle that, um, so it's, it, I find when I do keto properly, I, oh my gosh, like the biggest obviously I lose, you know, any extra kind of water. So I, I tend to shrink, um, yeah. which I don't want, which I don't want to do at the moment. So I haven't done keto for a long time and I haven't done a rigorous fasting regimen regimen for a long time either because I don't want to lose any more weight. However, when I have done keto in the past, every single time my skin is like the best that I ever <laughs> see it. It's just, I, I'm just like, I'm like, after three weeks, I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> like my skin is just, and it's, it, it was, it's because it's so plant heavy and keto yeah. forces you to just eat all of the vegetables. So if you think about your gut microbiome and you think about um, how it's recommended that 30 plant foods um, a, a week is the, the, the goal for the most variation in your gut microbiome, the most um, bacteria kind of variation. So like keto can really help with that. It can really get you up to that level and get you focusing yeah. on plants more and fiber. And so it's it's really good for those things. But 
you know, there, there will come a time where it's like, okay, it's, it's time to have some carbs. Like if, if, if you have a, if you're training for, um, uh, like a marathon or if you're, you know, if you train a lot in the gym, then obviously keto is a bit harder. Um, so obviously you said keto affects your training. Um, you find that you can't get to such a high intensity because you don't have the glycogen in your muscles to to fuel the workout. Maybe, you know, maybe it could be that I, I, I've never been, I measured ketones before, but it could be that that in these moments I haven't been, I haven't truly ketogenic. So I yes. I think yeah. there is, I think there is, because, um, you know, there's a lot of athletes that that actually perform very on a very high level on, on ketogenic mm -hmm. diets. Now, I just simply prefer to be, and again, you know, I think one thing that needs to be clarified with, with, with ketogenic diet and non-ketogenic diet, that usually the distinction people make is, you know, you eat healthy or you eat carbs and carbs are this bad thing. Like, you know, eating carbs doesn't mean that you eat like uh, donuts and, you know, and cheesecakes and things, because that usually is, if you think about those foods, it's usually a mix of carbs and fats. That is the bad thing, right? Yeah. But what a you know high carbohydrate or higher carbohydrate diet, a moderate car uh, carbohydrate diet would be more potatoes, more starchy carbs, more the healthy sources of of the healthier sources of carbs, right? So they don't necessarily there. So if you do keto, you have to understand that carbs are not bad for you. It's just how you want to fuel yourself, right? And I, I agree with you, keto for sure. You know, I, and that that feedback about skin, I heard it a lot. And you know, but again, you probably could. If, if you did that same thing on with carbs, but like you know, the variety of vegetables, and but if if that diet, that particular diet, makes you eat more vegetables, then amazing, right? So amazing, so be it, and just so then, then do it. But you know, what I don't like about, and that's because the online world at the moment is very sort of um, divided. Yeah, you'd always have the opposites and extremes. So you would go. Oh, you know, ketogenic because otherwise you, you, you know, you eat so much too much sugar. So don't eat fruit. Fruit is bad for you. It's not, you know, it's so there's it, it, what I dislike about the whole conversation about diets and the ways of eating and strategies, etc. About about nutrition that 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 people get very polarized, and I just don't. I'm not a fan of this, right? Because you there's never a one one single way of of just getting to the to the goal that you you set you set out for yourself. There's always many ways, and which one you choose is your is your your thing, right? You can you can obviously you have to be I think as a fitness professional you have to know about them. You have to I almost you have to try them all. You have to sort of understand why things are are done, and you know, and and because then you can also advise better, in my opinion. So it's you know sometimes people say, oh, you you know you don't need a trainer who trains. You need a trainer who's uh, knowledgeable. I disagree with it. It's like you wouldn't want a dentist with bad teeth, right? Like it's. It's probably not the best the best so yeah. you almost have to experience all that to understand as the same with nutrition so you have to you have to experience that see how you how it works for you so you can you can tell people about your experiences but then they will be able to try it for themselves right but that's also that's a certain personality type that's not forever i heard this really really great um kind of quote the other day it says it's not motivation that you need it's momentum because yeah. mot motivation burns out. So we've all been motivated before. We've all been motivated to do keto or to fast or to train or to get in shape. But then without the momentum behind it, it's hard to maintain that motivation and the motivation yeah. always burns out. So that made me think about keto for some reason, because I was like, 
keto gives you that momentum because you get results so quick in the beginning it's like okay and then you're kind of on this wave and you get motivated so that's another reason why i quite like keto and fasting as tools but i think the general theme here and and, and i i'm in agreement with you um it really is down to the person and what they like and if if it's not for them it's not for them um, if it is great like go for it and be safe you know make sure someone's kind of helping you out um but yeah I'm, I'm in alignment with that um so i mean come okay so let's steer away um from fasting and keto and when it comes to your uh, kind of best tips for fat loss in general like what have you found with yourself with yourself with your clients like what helps them best you mentioned calorie reduction um just anything like that what what do you think if someone wants to lose body fat who's listening to this what do you think they should start doing I think one, make sure that you that you increase activity, decrease food, right? Intake. And make sure you you have varied diet with a lot of vegetables and protein and fats. And so I'm sort of of the at the moment, what works best, what I see is is a more balanced approach in which people have all macronutrients included in the diet, just because it it's easier to adhere. And I, I think the, the longer you can, you can stick to something, the better results you're going to see. That's the number one. Uh, move more is the one that it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you train more, but you generally move more, right? So if you yeah, feel like about, and the, the, the little things add up to big changes because say, you know, I see always, so for example, yesterday I landed back from the States, we said, we said before, and you know, you sit on the plane for like 11 hours, right? So to me, it's like, you're sitting so much you you then you probably want to move right but you then see people going at the airport and then on the escalators and they just stand on the escalators i'm like you just you just weren't moving for 11 hours so just move you know so to me th th these small things add up so you just can walk to to the shop you can walk to a tube station instead of taking a the bus right or you can is that us people drive a lot just just walk more right so i think walking more walking is such an under underrated form of activity just because it, it it's a low impact cardio right so you just walk for and i love walking i think it's and it also there is a certain thing that happens and the, so there's an and a lot lateral eye movement which makes you come up with creative ideas and it can have to yes. actually process things so there's a lot of stuff that actually so much good coming out of it plus it burns more calories right and then at home just do more stuff just move more just stand up move around so essentially moving more, you know, all, like if you work at the office, just get a, a standing desk or anything that makes you more active generally. And then sleep is also super important. So just, just make sure that you get, you, you have good sleep and, you know, we could go into that as well. So have good sleep hygiene, make that you just, you just make a ritual of going to sleep. Right. And then try and get up at the same time, try to try and do it consistently. I understand that weekends sometimes can be different, but even then try and get, you know, get that, that, get that consistency. So I think the general advice would be consistency in everything you do and just do it and, and be patient with it. Cause you know, there's, I, I don't believe in quick, quick fixes. Obviously you can, you can, you can get into an amazing shape in like what, three months, probably two to three months. You can be in a really, there can be a huge difference, but that will require a lot of change, right? And you then could yo-yo potentially at the end of it. 
But I think a, a much more sustainable strategy is to just to consistent do things consistently over time and plan it for a longer term. It's like, you know, an overnight success happens in 10 years. It doesn't doesn't happen one night. It just it's a lot of hard work that goes into it. And it's the same with with you know with with uh with body composition. And I like writing things down and planning things out because there's 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 something very powerful about putting pen to paper and actually actually making you know making sure that you have goals, you have objectives, and you set them, and you have a timeline as well. So you have this, you have this, you know, goal setting so that you know by when you want to achieve what. But then equally, don't stress yourself if you know if if one day doesn't go uh, to plan, fine. You know, there's another day you just start and you just. But I think consistency and patience over time, and but cons consistency in every uh, everything you do. And if things doesn't, you know, if things don't work at first, give it some more time. If they still don't work. And change one thing at a time. Don't change everything at the same time. I think these are the main things. I think there's a statistic, and I'm really taking this out of the recesses of my brain right now. But if you write something down, like a goal, you're 42% more likely to to actually do it. And I'm yeah. pretty sure that's the actual number of 42% more likely to achieve it. So I agree completely. I mean, I have my journal, and I yeah. I tend to journal everything and in there I tend to put in the things that I want and like the goals and I just think it's so important um and I really believe that yes pen to paper is so important but then I also wanted to go back even further just now to what you said about sleep and I want to really back that up and like second that because um when it uh, training nutrition and sleep like those three things like it's, it's up there with nutrition and training um there study after study has shown that night workers have more body fat around their middle um and that's just that's just the way it is because your body tends to store fat because you know you're you're not sleeping so the cortisol is up and so you tend yeah. to store fat in areas that you know you, that you don't really want it you don't really want it around the waist um but if you you can have the perfect training program, the perfect nutrition program, but if you're not sleeping, then it, they they basically just they don't mean anything. Like they're not really going to come to fruition for you. So sleep yeah. is like everything. And you know, there is this. I agree with that. And I think sleep is the most important, the single most important thing. And then so you put it first. You'd be like number one because number one, because it, yeah. it it affects everything, right? So if you but then, then sleep affects your nutrition, and then you have grain leptin, and then that's the, the hormones will play with you. And if if your if your if if your rest is not sufficient, your sleep wasn't sufficient, that will affect your hunger levels, and then you eat more and you will train less. Just because. so so that's a, it's a vicious a vicious, a vicious cycle, right? Now, but also I would say going back to what I said before, sorry, because I forgot one thing. Because you know at the moment, metformin, bipomycin, they're all sort of like the talk of town. So everyone is oh. You know, you just take one pill, and that's just going to solve all, all the issues. Obviously, that that sort of lowers the blood sugar, uh, the, the 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 responses, and it. I would be very cautious with that because it's 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 still building good habits. You know, there's a lot of very promising data. There's a lot of very promising data about rapamycin, about metformin, and that having positive effects on longevity and regulating blood sugar, etc. But what I see now amongst a lot of people my clients but also what people tell me is that they sort of take it and they they hope that will be the solution right so they keep doing what they're doing so they will keep drinking they'll keep eating they will keep 
going out, sleeping less, you know, sleep, sleeping, sleeping little. But they take the pill and sort of they see good results because they, you know, they 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 better than they were before. But that's just not going to substitute building good habits. And for me, you know, fat loss, okay, it's one thing, but fat loss, it's sort of, it's not, it's. I like this, you know, there's this concept from um, of backcasting. So how you think about training is pretty much the opposite. Because if you think about goal setting, it's forecasting, right? So you forecast where you're going to be in, say, 12 months time, right? But if you flip it on its head, it's backcasting. So think about what do you want to be able to do in the last 10 years of your life in terms of your physical health and mental health as well, and work backwards from that side. So what do you have to start doing now in order to have the longevity in your training, in your movement, right? So that puts puts the whole training nutrition into a much larger, much more important perspective in which you say, you know, I won't say I have a child, I don't have a child, but say I have a child, I want my, I want to be able to play with my my grandchildren, right? When I'm 80, say. So I want to be able to get up a floor, I want to be able to play with them. So if you put your your fitness goals in the in the broader perspective of your health and i think that's where all the that's at least that's what what some 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 of the best minds of the industry are going that you sort of have to you have to look at an individual holistically and you want to you want to set long-term goals it's like with a business right you don't want to you know you, you don't want to be profitable one year only and then you don't care what happens you want to think about it for on the, in the longer term right so you want longer term 10 years 20 years so you want to think about it but that's you know so think about your body as if it were your business so if somebody is listening to this and they're training hard and they're they're you know eating as well as they can what what is an irregular cycle how can they figure out if oh god maybe mine needs to be looked at maybe my regime is too difficult and um, what should they be looking out for like what is an irregular cycle so what i will say is everyone's cycle length is different like there's no one size fits all you know the standard 28 day example not everyone's cycle is 28 days so it's not necessarily a cause for concern if you have a slightly longer cycle or a slightly shorter cycle it's about figuring out what your normal is and then making sure that your cycle is not too far outside of that so the first thing i'd recommend someone do everyone who's listening to this podcast who is a woman it will do you good to track your cycle like that is the first place to start like just track it just track when you come on like when you start your bleed when you end your bleed any PMS symptoms that you're experiencing alongside that, that is the first place to start. And from that information, you will be able to establish what a standard cycle looks like for you. So for example, if you find that it's 30 days, you've got your 30 day cycle. Anything around sort of five days within that either way, isn't, I wouldn't say is a cause for concern. So say your normal cycle is 30 days, but one one month you come on on day 27 that's not a cause for concern but if you start to see like I said if your cycle is outside of sort of five days of that ish so you start to come on on day 35 and then the next cycle is a bit longer than that and the next cycle is a bit longer that's where things are is probably a bit of a pink flag 
So it's something you need to be aware of. And if you experience those irregularities, so if you came on sort of like beyond five days out of your normal range, then I what I would personally advise doing is making sure that you're covering all bases in terms of removing as much psychological and physical stress as possible, working on stress management tools, prioritizing sleep, making sure that you're out of a calorie deficit. So you've got enough fuel coming in to support your activity levels um, and make sure that you're not training to failure and then, you know, monitor again, monitor that cycle moving forwards. If it starts to get more regular again, you've corrected things, brilliant, carry on. Um, if it doesn't, then implement more changes, remove more stress, yeah. potentially reduce training frequency even further, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's great that you pay attention to everything in someone's lifestyle. So it's not just pulling back on exercise, looking at the diet, but it's also like your mental you know, your, your emotional stress and your sleep, like sleep is so, so freaking important. Like it's, it's up there with, if, if it, when it comes to body composition and looking your best sleep is up there with exercise and with food and it's, but it's, it's, it's not a sexy topic. It's not something people want to talk about. It's not something people really pay attention to. But the point is, if you're not getting enough sleep, then it doesn't matter if you have the perfect program, you have the perfect nutrition um, diet, you're not going to achieve what you want to achieve because you're not sleeping. I mean, I, I used to spend a lot of time around bodybuilders as well. I think it's just a rite of passage when you work in a gym, um, the free weights area, like that's where you find them. And um, God, it was, it was all about sleep. It's like, um, because that's when your muscles recover. That's when they grow. That's when they become strong. And, you know, if, if you want to have that toned physique, then sleep is really, really important for that. And, you know, recovery, and it's just so, so key. And I remember the bodybuilders were like napping, like during the day, they were making sure they were getting their daily naps. And if they missed it, it was like the worst thing ever. So it really is like a, it's like, it's like a different routine. It's like a different lifestyle, isn't it? but th th there's something in it because it's an art like growing your muscles and losing body fat like it's an absolute art that you have to master and I can understand why it takes over people's lives but there's really there's there's really good tips that everyone can take from that and I think sleep is definitely one of them basically yeah what I will say is you don't need to be napping every day like don't worry if you're right. listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. There are not many people that can nap in the day. I definitely don't nap in the day for did one. Did you nap when you were competing? <laughs> I'm sure that, what did you, you say? Nap, did you nap when you were competing? Do you know what? I I the time in my life where I did nap was when I was a one-to-one -one personal trainer. And the reason right. for that was that Early I was mornings. like 4 a.m. and I was yes. getting home from work at like 10. So it was my time to like literally catch up on sleep that I was deprived yeah. of through the night. But when I was bodybuilding, I didn't tend to nap yeah. just because uh, like it just never really worked for me and I'm quite busy through the day. So like, it's not realistic for most people yeah. to nap. You don't need to nap to make progress. <laughs> so don't worry about that. So how many hours sleep do you recommend? Again, everyone's different. Like some people will get five hours sleep and they'll be sound. They'll feel fresh as daisy. They'll wake up feeling refreshed and they'll have no problems. Whereas other people will need at least eight. Everyone's different. And again, it's about listening to your body mm. and 
how it responds. So if you're waking up feeling pretty refreshed in the morning, your energy levels don't crash through the day, then you're sound, you're getting enough sleep. Yeah. Um, what is relatively important is that you're pretty consistent with your sleep routine. So where possible, you're maintaining a consistent bedtime and wait time because that will help regulate something called your circadian rhythm, which is like your sleep rhythm, basically. It's like your sleep cycle. Um, so yeah, consistency is the most important thing and finding out what works for you. If you feel refreshed, then sound. If you don't feel refreshed, listen to your body and try and get a little bit more sleep. Okay. So that's that's great. I'm gonna make sure I do that. But to be honest, I think I get too much sleep. <laughs> so like I go to bed very early and I kind of wake up at 6 30, which I think is a decent time, but I go to bed at eight o'clock. Um, but I have just had a child and I'm a bit traumatized from not having enough sleep when he was younger. So I think I'm just overcoming that. But anyway, that's a separate story. Um, so you say that you help women um come out of hard training and come out of the um you know the bodybuilding that they were doing and the competitions um but this goes for everybody so maintenance like being in a maintenance phase of your program is again it's it's a skill it's an art and it's something that needs to be mastered like mentally emotionally physically um so I guess when when anybody reaches their goal because once you reach your goal and you're kind of like at the top of your game, like you were when you were doing your competing. Um, it's, that's the easy part. Like, I mean, not saying that it was easy for you, but, um, you know, getting to the top is one thing, but then maintaining it and, um, you know, staying mentally sound and staying fit and healthy and, you know, maintaining a level of health that you're happy with, that's a skill. So, I mean, how does that work in what you do? Like, how do you help women maintain themselves once they've achieved what they wanted to achieve? Yeah. Now, the first thing I think it's important to touch on is that when you compete, you are not healthy. So the goal is not to maintain that. Yeah. The goal is to regain the necessary body fat for health and restore health. So we're not trying to jump straight to maintenance from when we've competed from when we've ended an extreme diet we do need to move into a surplus after that in order to restore health in order to restore mm -hmm. menstrual cycle function etc and how However, long does if, that take usually to get someone back to a maintenance phase everyone is different okay. it all depends on like largely how long it takes to regain the menstrual cycle the amount of body fat that will take will differ between individuals as well it will depend on how long it takes to improve someone's relationship with food like how badly they were struggling all of those sorts of things um so someone coming out of an extreme diet is a bit of a different kettle of fish like it will depend and we don't want to go straight to maintenance because they're not healthy when you step on stage you are the opposite of health yeah you don't want to be um, keeping that after you've no. stepped off the stage yeah you're like you're literally the opposite of health when you step on stage so you need to restore health in that scenario. But if someone had just done, say they'd done like a moderate fat loss phase, they were a lifestyle client, they just got to, they'd not sacrificed their health. They still had a regular menstrual cycle. Relationship with food is intact, body image is intact. Then that individual could go straight to maintenance. And that's an important point in itself because a lot of people will end 
a fat loss phase and they'll try to do a like really slow reverse diet from the calories that they were on at the end of the diet. And if they do that, they're just prolonging the deficit that they're in and they're prolonging that restoration of their energy levels, of their strength, of, you know, more flexibility when it comes to nutrition. So at the end of a diet phase, if health is kept intact, we want to come straight up to maintenance. And that will usually look like a bump of a few hundred calories and a slight reduction in cardio. And then we can monitor how someone responds and adapt where necessary from there. Um, and obviously taper food up and taper expenditure down until they get to a point where they are literally, they're around maintenance within a certain range. But again, a really important point to make is that maintenance is not a fixed state. It's a sliding scale. And whilst we're at maintenance, we're still going to see fluctuations in water retention, inflammation, muscle fullness. Um, you know, we have things like our menstrual cycle, which impact how we feel and impact how we respond. And it's not a fixed state. We can't control everything. There are variables that we're never going to have full control over and it's really important to be accepting of the natural fluctuations in our bodies that will occur throughout our lives and once we accept those natural fluctuations it's it's so freeing and it will result in huge improvements from a body image relationship with food and overall health perspective can you explain you were talking about fat loss phase and then reverse dieting and then maintenance so for people who don't really understand what that means so when someone wants to lose fat how do they do that and then how do they why do they need to reverse diet like what's this all about yeah so basically how we achieve fat loss is by expending more energy than we're taking in so we we create something called a calorie deficit um and we do that by either reducing calories so reducing the amount of food we're consuming or increasing our activity levels or cardio or a combination of the two. Usually people will choose a combination of the two because it means that, you know, if you were to only reduce food, you'd have to have quite a big drop in food. If you were to only increase activity levels, it would require quite a big increase in activity levels. Whereas if we use a combination of the two, it's like a nice happy middle ground where you can maybe introduce a little bit of cardio. You can just pull food down a touch and you'll lose a bit of body fat. So we lose body fat when we're expending more energy than we're taking in. And as we become a smaller human, so as we actually lose body fat, we then might find we need to push things a little bit harder so we might need to decrease food a little bit more or increase expenditure a little bit more increase our activity levels a bit more because we require less energy to sustain our bodies when we are smaller so that's why one of the reasons why we'll have to make adaptations throughout our fat loss phase and decrease food a little bit further at some points and then once someone has achieved their goal they can then come up to maintenance and can I just ask really quickly, how long is a safe fat loss phase? Like how long again, can you be in that safely? Everyone's different. It It's completely individual. And um, it also depends on how aggressive you're being, because some people will prefer to do more of an aggressive fat loss phase for a shorter period of time. Other people will prefer to do a less aggressive fat loss phase for a longer period of time 
both of those are viable options. It just depends on the person's preferences and the person's ability to tolerate things like hunger, for example. Um, so yeah, everyone's different. And I would always take a person-centered approach with what I decide to do with a client. So it will depend on their preferences, their health, their relationship with food, um, and also how they respond. And we will make any necessary adjustments throughout the process. But yeah, everyone is completely different. It will also depend on how much body fat they're carrying to start with. That's if true. someone's carrying a lot of body fat, then they might have to do a slightly longer fat loss phase whereas if someone's not carrying much body fat at all they definitely don't need to be in a fat loss phase for long so i mean so i know there's a huge range then um depending on all of those variables you just mentioned but are we talking weeks or months like uh, or it literally just depends like it could be weeks yeah, for someone who just wants to do a little bit or like months it for literally someone completely who... depends okay, you know yeah. you might get someone who is relatively lean already and just wants to lose a tiny bit of body fat so they, they feel a little bit leaner for their wedding and that person you know they might just do a six-week fat loss phase and be sound whereas there might be someone who's significantly overweight and needs to lose body fat for their health and they might have to lose several stone and that's not going to come off overnight so that could be months um and it also depends on life circumstances you know if something comes up in life and someone has a really challenging period of time which means that they can't quite adhere to their targets as they might usually be able to and therefore it's more appropriate to remove the stress of fat loss and spend a period of time at maintenance to break that up they might have to pursue fat loss for longer but that's okay because life life happens and that's you know it's the nature of life and and so if you're competing, then something called a reverse diet is necessary because you don't want to go from fat loss then straight into maintenance. But for your everyday lady, um, going straight into maintenance um, after her fat loss phase is is advisable and is safe. Um, so what does what would a maintenance phase then look like? Is that just meeting your caloric um, requirements? How does that work? Yeah, so again, um, just to touch on that briefly, even mm. competitors, they want to go, they don't want to remain in a deficit. They want to go straight into a calorie surplus rather than a reverse diet. So they actually want to get into a surplus so that they're able to regain body fat for health, whereas the average person can come up to maintenance rather gotcha. than going into a surplus, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, gotcha. So when does reverse dieting come into it? It's kind of not necessary. Like, okay. <laughs> what is... What we tend to promote now is something called a recovery diet, which is where someone comes straight up to maintenance and then into a surplus um, as quickly as possible. The people used to call a quote-unquote reverse diet where you would, say you finish a fat loss phase on 1,500 calories. What they would do, and this is what people in the past would call a reverse diet, is they'd slowly trickle calories up and they'd remain in the deficit to try and stay as lean as possible. It's not necessary and it's prolonging the negative effects from a health perspective that come with extreme dieting. So that's why we want to avoid taking that approach. Okay. Um, the only circumstance I would consider that potentially with somebody is if psychologically they were really deal they were really struggling with dealing with the increase in food, in which case you might take a slightly more gradual approach to get into maintenance. Um, but again, everybody is different. Okay. so maintenance so would that what would that look like 
So again, energy balance is like calories in versus calories out. And maintenance is where roughly we are expending the same amount of energy as we're taking in. This looks different for everybody again. Everyone's activity levels are different. Everyone's, you know, heights are different, muscle mass, body mass. And so we all have different energy requirements for and numerous so, reasons. Okay. I think it's also really important to recognize that our energy requirements will fluctuate on a daily basis. So there might be one day where I fidget more, I have to run more errands, I train on that day. And that day, my energy requirements are going to be higher than a day where I am chilling on the sofa on a Sunday watching TV. And so it's really important to recognize that and it gives you peace of mind. Because if, for example, one day you consume a little bit more food, it's not worth stressing over because your energy expenditure is going to fluctuate on a daily basis anyway. And so it's okay if your energy intake fluctuates in line with that. And recognizing that can give you peace of mind and it can help you really relax around nutrition and not stress about micromanaging everything so much. And um, so when it comes to um, food, do you have a specific way that you like to help them uh, get into shape do you have certain macros that you work with like protein and carbs and fats or do you let them take the lead they eat as they wish and you just look at calories is, is there any sort of way that you work around food and then also for yourself um well so for my clients um I literally just get my clients to focus on calories and protein um obviously because most of my clients are lifestyle um, clients, so they're women, busy working women that have tried yo-yo dieting and things like that. So um, they work nine to five kind of jobs. So we just work on calories and protein because that's our, that's if I add in fats and carbs, it's all too overwhelming. So if we focus on our calorie intake, being in that calorie deficit, and then we work on that protein um, intake because that's going to help them feel fuller for longer that's going to help them with muscle recovery um and all of those types of things so that's how I work with my clients um and I actually educate them around calories and protein and how to get them in um ideas things like that and building up on those kinds of things I feel like that's what's missing from most solutions is an education on 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 those those foods um and those things so that's how I work with them and then myself um I actually don't track anymore I used to um track my calories and protein but I kind of now have an eyeball for it um and I know if my meal is uh got enough protein in I know if it's got enough um other other foods in so um yeah yeah I think it's a really good recommendation for anybody to track their food for at least seven days just to try it because what you'll see when you track your food okay it's not the most accurate way to measure calories like there's there's no way to get an accurate measure but it's a it gives you a good idea of what you're eating and it might blow your mind a little bit when you see what you've actually eaten a hundred percent exactly right um I think calorie tracking is really good for someone who um who hasn't done it before 
and they just want to have an insight into um, whether they're under eating or whether they're overeating in a big, big way. And to kind of be self-reflective, I think it's a really good idea to do it just for a short amount of time. But then, like you said, you you get a knack for it and you 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 eyeball it after that. So it doesn't have to be a life sentence, but just if just try it, just try it, yeah. weigh a few it's things. A good tool. It's it like is. a tool that you don't want to use forever. Like no one wants to be tracking and being obsessed with my fitness power, whatever you use forever, but it's a good tool to kind of get you going, see what you're eating, see if you're eating enough of the, the the foods that make you feel good. And also if you are eating the foods that are good for your soul, I suppose. So um, yeah, no, hundred percent agree with you on that one. Yeah. And I'm really glad you mentioned protein because it's so important if you want to have this toned look. Um, when you train your muscles, they require protein to rebuild. And obviously protein is the building blocks of who we are. So it's so important to have enough. But my gosh, it is hard. I find I personally, even I find it hard to get enough protein in a day. Um, I, I personally like to aim for about 25 to 30 grams per meal um, based on my weight. So um I mean, putting that in putting that in perspective, if an egg is about six grams, um, a protein shake is what it's about twelve or fourteen grams, and then when you start kind of adding it up, you're just like, wow, like getting to about twenty five grams of protein in a meal is like that's it's tough. Like, I mean, how do you find getting protein into your um, meals? Um, like, how do you yeah. do it? No, it is really really hard and. And I mean, to be fair, uh, uh, probably about a year ago, I did, I uh, I look back and I think I was hitting that 160 grams of protein. And I used to think, God, how did I do that? I used to take a lot of uh, supplements, whereas I, I, I stopped and kind of took a step back from that because that kind of was, um, wasn't doing my gut any good. So um, it, it is really tough. And that's what I help my clients massively with. And it, it definitely, as you said, starting with trying to get 25 to 30 grams of protein in with breakfast lunch and dinner then that's going to set you up to kind of win for the day um but something that a little tip that I get my clients to do is um if they are tracking is pre-tracking the night before so tracking your protein in your breakfast lunch and dinner first because that's gonna allow you to see that you know that you're going to hit those um protein kind of goal and then you can plan the rest of your meal kind of around your protein um that's always quite a good a good tip but yeah it's, it is it is really really tough but once you kind of get used to it it's like oh yeah that's got protein in that's got it in um yeah yeah and soon enough it becomes second nature it, it doesn't have to be hard forever even though yeah. in the beginning it might feel like it's hard um, do you have any views on carbohydrates? Um, if you don't, that's fine. But um, do you ever look at those for your clients? Because, um, you know, obviously out there, there's kind of low carb, and then there's high carb. And do you yeah. have any points of view on that? Or do you prefer, like you said, to just stick with protein to keep it simple? Um, with my clients, we do kind of stick with just calories and protein. Um, but I do make sure that they do eat carbs um I would never carbs are energy and carbs are, are fuel so I would never um get them to cut them out but I kind of that's what I focus on just because it just becomes a bit too overwhelming for them otherwise yeah. um 
but yeah no I definitely would never cut out carbs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and plus when when you know if you're training four to five times a week five to six times a week then you need the energy in your muscle to be able to perform at a high level and to be able to achieve the goals that you achieve um you said that you lift heavier and heavier each time so um yeah you're going to need carbs in the muscle for that for sure yeah, yeah um I mean when you're working with your clients are they mostly female or yeah so all of my clients are female um yeah all female yeah okay. so how do you deal with um because obviously we were talking about how dancing and, and in the arts there's a lot of body um, image issues that can come out but the fitness industry can be very much the same um and I find as soon as anybody is given parameters to work within so let's say um you know certain protein they need to hit um certain calories that they should kind of hover around and training and it can it can suddenly trigger um kind of just maybe a bit too much attention on their body and you know they might find they come in and out of diets and and I'm sure you're very mindful of that so how do you help um do you experience clients going through yo-yo dieting and if so how do you kind of guide them out of that um yeah so I mean I predominantly work with women that are busy working women as I said before and a lot I'd say all of my clients have been have yo-yo dieted or done some sort of low calorie restrictive slimming well weight watchers kind of diet um and I work with the reason why I work with them is because they often come to me and they're like I've tried everything and that that's is this going to make a difference will this be another thing that I've tried and I love to prove them that this isn't what they've tried this is a new a new way and I think for me as well is with this education that I give them around this what I do my kind of way I educate them is I want them a lot of them have got children and I want that generation to not go through what we went through of the yo-yo dieting or the watching mum on a diet or watching mum hop on the scales all the time and I think that's so important and that's why I um love to help that type of women because I don't want their their children to go through what what we went through so um with overcoming that um obviously it's a tough one because there are a lot, a lot of mindset um kind of barriers that are in my clients um mindset because it is they have been yo-yo dieting they have been told to cut out this from their diet sugar carbs don't eat after seven start fasting do this cut out alcohol and it is tough because you have to break those barriers down um but I suppose my number one tip for anyone who's listening to this that feels like they have been yo-yo dieting and they're confused what to do next is start to include the foods that you love within your diet because as soon as you start restricting yourself from the things that you love you'll end up going to binge on them more it comes to the weekend you're going to hit the screw it button you're going to grab that chocolate bar that you cut out in the week because you couldn't have it didn't fit in your diet you're going to eat all the carbs that you can but 
if you allow yourself to have that chocolate bar in the evening or that bagel with your breakfast or that small glass of wine in an evening once a week like and it doesn't have to be at the weekend once you allow yourself to have those things you won't end up binging on them because you're not you, you've you've satisfied that craving you've had it you've moved on and, and that's that and um, so I think that's my my kind of one tip for anyone who's done the yo-yo dieting and, and doesn't know what to do I'm Tamara Walpole and you've been listening to Your Body's Way if you haven't already please subscribe share rate and review this podcast you can find me on Instagram as Tamara Walpole Nutrition Join me next time for some more juicy information on how to help you on your journey to your best self yet. Your body's way is the only way. Chat soon.